We know that many of our readers like to share their copy of the Church Times with others. That may not be possible at the moment. As an alternative, we're offering a short-term discounted subscription, just £1 a week for 10 weeks. That includes UK delivery and there's no obligation to renew. You can purchase the subscription for yourself or as a gift for someone else. You'd enjoy all of our usual subscriber benefits, the paper in the post each week, all the news at churchtimes.co.uk, access to the digital archive, the app for iPhone and iPad, and listening to this podcast. To purchase a subscription, go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash 10 hyphen weeks. Charities have launched emergency appeals for donations to help the most vulnerable during the coronavirus crisis. Much of the third sector has seen a significant drop in funds just at the time when the people they help need them most. These include the Children's Society, which is raising funds to protect the vulnerable children it works with. It has launched an emergency appeal, which you can donate to at www.childrensociety.org.uk lifeline. I spoke to the Children's Society's Chief Executive, Mark Russell, about the appeal and about how the charity has radically changed how it works so that it can continue to do its work. Also on this week's podcast, I speak to Church Times news reporter Maddie Fry about the difficulties facing Christian actors and musicians, many of whom currently have no work. She tells me about the pastoral care being provided by chaplains in the creative industries. Mark Russell, many of our readers and, and listeners to the Church Times podcast will, will know the Children's Society well and may indeed be um, supporters of the Children's Society. Um, how is this coronavirus crisis affecting particularly the vulnerable children that you help? Uh, well, Corona has been a massive issue for the young people we help. We work with some of the most marginalised and disadvantaged children in the country, work with children who are experiencing serious mental health issues. We're working with children um, who, are, who are refugee and migrant children. We're working with young people who are at risk of exploitation, sexual uh, um, abuse, uh, grooming, um, county lines. This is a major issue for many, many young people. The closure of so many places of safety for children, whether that's schools or faith groups or youth groups, has made a lot of children much more vulnerable. Alongside that, families are being thrown together for much longer periods of time than they're used to. Um, I was speaking to a a senior government official just last week who said that significant increase uh, likely in domestic abuse and and violence in the family. Um, So whether that's issues to do with poverty and deprivation, whether it's to do um, with with abuse or whether that's because young people are going to be more at risk of being groomed into county lines gangs etc etc whether it's the deep anxiety in children's lives as well but they're ter- young people are terrified and frightened about this and we think we adults are ter- terrified about what's going on with corona and the impact on our lives for children that's even more significant so and you can see that in in, in, in chat line i've had a, a massive spike in the number of young people uh, making calls there so Without question, for the most vulnerable children and the most vulnerable young people, which is where we work, Corona will make their lives significantly more difficult. And the government helpfully designated vulnerable children as a constituency of of children who could still go to school. But all of the indications that we're seeing from government and that our own team are picking up on the ground are that significant numbers of vulnerable young people are not um, turning up in school. And that's a major concern because Schools are often the first line of defence, really, for when we can spot if there are issues of concern around safeguarding in a young person's life. So if those young people aren't in school, then there are really challenging questions around how we uh, recognise safeguarding issues in young people's lives.
Children's Society has responded to the Victims Commissioner's new report on domestic abuse and put something out um, yesterday on, on Wednesday. And this is a particular worry at this time of lockdown. Completely, absolutely. And and actually, we've talked about the impact on, on children and young people of corona, but actually, because we're working with those most vulnerable, most marginalised young people, we have had to completely redesign and reconfigure every single service that we provide for children and young people. That's been a Herculean task that my colleagues have done over the last two weeks. We have reconfigured every single service so that every single young person who was being supported by the Children's Society before this outbreak is still being supported by the Children's Society today. And that's using digital platforms and and all kinds of tools and techniques to communicate with young people. And in some cases, that's involved us having to get um, a swathe of extra IT kit out to our frontline practitioners. It's also involved us getting IT kit into the hands of some vulnerable young people for whom they didn't have access to that so that we could continue to support them. Uh, And one of the big questions we're grappling with at the moment is how do we, with schools closed, um, how do we uh, identify and and through a lifeline to the, the the vulnerable young people who need support that we don't yet know about? Can you say a bit about what the impact has been of this crisis on the on the Children's Society's funding? Yes, I mean the, this has had a colossal impact on our funding. We have 106 shops around the country which bring in around a million pounds every month. We've had to close those, uh, so there's a million pounds straight off uh, of not coming in. And um, we've also we've wanted to you know the, the significant amount of our cost base is the rents and the you know the the, the fixed costs of those shops that that will continue to be um, uh, paid. So so first and foremost, there's a big hit on the shops. Secondly, there's a whole pile of fundraising events uh, that you know, fundraising events by definition have a lot of people in them. So they've all had to be cancelled. The London Marathon uh, is a prime example. There's usually 200 250 thousand pounds comes into the Children's Society. To the marathon and, and that we've been in touch with all our marathon runners and they're going to keep running for us in the autumn which is great and hopefully they'll raise even more money but that money would have normally come in around april uh, there were a number of big high profile fundraising events we'd organized which again each of those would have brought in six figure uh um, you know um, sums they're not going to happen so covid19 has blown a huge hole in our finances and at the same time, I want to make sure that we are continuing to provide security for our team and, and to ensure that we're not adding inadvertently to the stress and anxiety of our own colleagues through this very difficult time. And for many of our teams, I've already talked about the transitioning all of our services to being digital. For many of our teams, they're now having to balance very complex caring relationships for children, for parents, for other members of the family alongside doing their job. So it's been this has been a huge deal uh, for the organisation, uh, but I have been absolutely inspired by the uh, can-do spirit, the way all of our team have stepped up into this challenge. And they are I, I work with an extraordinary bunch of people who have given their lives to uh, serve the most vulnerable kids in the country. And I am blown away by their um, dedication and commitment to juggle all of these things and still continue to provide excellent service and support to vulnerable young people. And what are you calling on the government to do? to help well the well the, the children's society is experiencing what the whole of the third sector is experiencing which is the third sector is in serious peril and and you know there we've been lobbying the government uh both through our partners in ncbo and akibo and others but also the children's society i've directly been lobbying the government uh, and ministers and members of parliament and um, to recognize that you know there are a number of significant charities are going to go to the wall in the next 
uh, number of weeks. That's just fact. Um, a third of charities, I think it's a third of charities, have no reserves at all. So if funding uh, and income drops, those organisations have no um, buffer to, or, you know, no financial base to draw on. Now we're fortunate we do. Um, we do have financial reserves. That's what you know my trustees have put in place. Uh, prudent uh, management of our finances, so we can survive going forward. We won't be able to survive forever, uh, but we can certainly survive perhaps longer than most. So we've been um, arguing that the government need to recognise the scale of this challenge, because actually if these organisations fail, firstly, there are going to be a, a whole pile of vulnerable people who rely on those organisations for support. That support will vanish overnight, and that will be significantly damaging for many, many people for whom many of their existing support structures have already uh, vanished. The second thing is when we come out of this corona crisis, and we will come out of it, when we come out of it, we're going to need a strong civic society to help put the country back together again. And if, if you know, the chief exec of, of, of um, St. John Ambulance was speaking to the House of Commons Select Committee just the other day, and he said, Without intervention, St. John Ambulance will be gone in August. I mean, that's an extraordinary thing, you know, because not only do they provide all the first aid care for um, all of our sporting events around the country, they, they train about one third of every company's um, first aid uh, personnel. You know, so we can't possibly allow this to happen. So I'm hoping the Chancellor, who, who has shown incredible leadership thus far, he really has, and I've written to thank him for it, that he can show similar leadership on the charity sector. And one very simple thing he could do, he's already introduced the furlough scheme, which is fantastic. And we've been able to furlough some of our shop staff, which helps our um, uh, wage bill during this period. But my choice as a chief executive of the Children's Society is either I furlough people and they can't work, or I don't furlough them and I have to pay all their wage costs. And the reality is for most of our team, I need them to be working really hard because there are going to be more young people who need our help. And if I furlough them, we're not going to be able to do that. So one very simple thing the Chancellor could do is allow those who've been furloughed to volunteer in their own organisation. Paradoxically, if I, if I furlough all our guys today, they can go and volunteer in Bernardo's. Um, but actually, short of moving all of our staff around the third sector, the Chancellor very easily could allow our furloughed staff to volunteer in our own organisation. And that would be a huge relief for so many charities many of whom their wage bill is the single biggest cost. So I'm, I'm hopeful the Chancellor's heard our representations and, and we'll do something about that in the, in the coming days. And just finally, I mean, how can our readers and listeners to this podcast help the Children's Society at this time? Thank you for asking that question. Um, the Children's Society is unbelievably proud of its long history and its long um, relationship with the Church of England. Uh, we were our roots are in the Church of England. Edward Rudolph was a Sunday school teacher uh, in Vauxhall nearly 140 years ago. And for 140 years, the, 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 the gospel's ethos has permeated the Children's Society's work. And I, I know God doesn't have favourites, but if he did, I'm pretty sure the most vulnerable children in the country would be near the top of that list. So I, I appeal to your listeners of this podcast and to the readers of the Church Times, who are many of whom are faithful, committed supporters of our organisation. Um, to do two things. Number one is to please pray for the Children's Society, to pray for our teams, to pray that our work uh, will be able to reach the most vulnerable children in this country who are impacted greatest by this uh, crisis. So number one, please pray for us. Um, and number two, help us fill the hole um, that, that COVID-19 has blown in our budget. 
And they can do that by going to our website and they can go to our lifeline appeal. And, and we can we will use every penny of that to help vulnerable children through this crisis. So the, it's our lifeline appeal, because literally that's what we want the Children's Society to be, a lifeline uh, to the most vulnerable children. So please pray for us. And please, if you're able to support us financially and help us through this difficult, difficult season, I know that the whole Children's Society team would join me in expressing our profound gratitude and deep thanks for that uh, partnership in the gospel this season. Maddie, you've been following the um, plight of Christian musicians and actors um, during the coronavirus outbreak, is that right? Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's um, very a group that's definitely finding life hard at the moment, to say the least. The sort of recurring theme across anyone at the moment who is in the creative industries, whether it's musician, actor or the people behind the scenes, like people in theatre tech or music tech or stage crew, is that, you know, they're freelancers, they work on contracts, they they might have a regime where they work six months of the year and that keeps them going the rest of the year. That all vanished overnight. And it's very frightening if you don't have savings, which, you know, a lot of people in London don't, and you don't have much to fall back on. And then while I was writing the story, um, the news came through that the government were going to, you know, set up this fund to help people who are self-employed as well as people who are employed, but you know, one of my friends um, who's an actor and he goes to my church who I spoke to about it. He said, well, giving people a lump sum in June is just not sufficient because a lot of people are going to be broke by then. Like if you're living, you know, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, then and you've got no security. If you've got no you're not locked into a system where you get a salary and pension and other benefits and get some kind of cushioning, then um, life is very tough. Yeah. So this is the government has said that they will get help self-employed people, but it will only come in June, which I guess is yet yeah, two months of, of no income. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I mean, thankfully, some of them have partners who, you know, have more job security. And another person I spoke to, he'd already decided that he was going to take some time off from his day job. He works in international devel- international development and was going to have like a year to focus on his writing and acting projects. But that's all ground to a halt. And even though he'd allocated that time and that money for himself, it's still... Um, you know, I think he feels a bit like, well, why did I, why did I quit the day job? You know, you've been talking to chaplains who work among, um, in the sort of theatre community and among musicians, have you, about the support they're providing? Yeah, and it, it's been good to actually really do that because I've been wanting for a while to really talk more to the theatre chaplaincy people because Lindsay Meader, who heads the organisation, used to be um, a priest at St James's Piccadilly, where I, where I attend. Mm. And this is Theatre Chaplaincy UK, is the organisation. Yes. That's yeah. them. And um, they're, um, they've got a great location. They're based just off Leicester Square and right next to the Prince Charles Cinema, which is a great sort of London landmark. She kind of left St. James's to pursue that full time because that's kind of her passion. And she's done a lot of working to support people in the industry. And now is, you know, a time where they've never been more needed, really, because um, so many people are suddenly finding they need support and pastoral support, particularly and you know, they're worried about money, worried about the loss of their livelihoods and generally just worried about whether when the pandemic's over, the rest, the West End will, you know, come, the, whether there'll be a resurrection or, you know, um, no pun intended, and um, and whether generally the industry will recover even what, and what the long term effects of this is going to be on the industry. So, and I think the thing she really wanted to emphasise as well was that, although it's, you know, it's really good that, you know, we live in an era when in churches and in the arts, Generally, a lot of people feel happy to come out about being gay, 
she was saying that among a lot of actors it's easier to say you're gay than it is to say you're a Christian um, and that a lot right. of people not wanted to come out as it were and so they provide a space for creatives who are struggling to kind of come and talk and pray and explore that side of their personality with other creatives and feel like they can say they can be open about being a believer or also being being an actor and you in your story you report that some of the services and prayer meetings that have been happening in the theatre community have now moved online yes there's um a sort of west end focused prayer group that's more specifically a sort of prayer meeting thing that has a bit more of an evangelical focus they they used to meet in Pretamonja and now they've moved online so they have you know they've got quite an active Twitter presence so um and they like theatre chapters UK liaise a lot with other theatre groups and theatre charities so there's definitely a sort of holistic effort there it's far more just about um being there for people when you know amidst all this uncertainty and even you know before the pandemic like the life of an actor is a very you know mercurial one it's um often beset by long periods of unemployment and so and then when people do get work, if they're in a, a run of a show, it can often feel like a bereavement when a show comes to an end. So, you know, the work that Lindsay and others have been doing to support thespians and the thespian community is, is really is really valuable and not, you know, doesn't get the attention it should, I think. So I was glad that sort of that, to be able to explore that a bit more in the article. Sure. And you also quote musicians who've obviously had to cancel tours and, and live performances. Um, one being Governor B. You spoke to him, did you? Yeah. He occupies quite an interesting niche, you know, he's sort of, um, he's a rap artist who's, I guess, kind of in the space you would perhaps call Christian rap or Christian hip hop. I'm not sure if, you know, because obviously it's always been the case with some Christian bands and musicians that some are happy to openly say that they are Christian rock, Christian rap, and some are more like, no, I'm a rap artist, but I but just happen to be a Christian at the same time. But mm-hmm. Governor B's sort of always been very, very open about what he believes and, um, and he, he seemed fairly optimistic about his ability to, to support himself. But, you know, it, it's a big deal that if you've just re- you're about to release an album like he is, I think his album comes out tomorrow. And then you the tour you were going to do to support it suddenly gets pushed back till the autumn. And then even then, obviously, it could get pushed back even further because who knows how long this is all going to last. So he definitely found that his beliefs were sort of um, were sustaining him. And, you know, the common thread through all of this, I guess, is that as well as the the fact that a lot of people have lost their livelihoods very quickly is that they kind of their faith is a sort of is an anchor for them and a a way for them to kind of um try and park their park their panic or any negative thoughts they might be having and just be able to say well this is out of my control but hopefully there are better times ahead and some variant on God has a plan I think that leads on to I mean another story you've been um, working on this week was about the Church of England's mental health guide during these times could you say a bit about about that yeah it's um i think a move sensible move on behalf of the church where this sort of guide written by one one woman who's runs a mental health charity another guy who's an academic at durham this joint guide was published about sort of how to stay sane when you're behind closed doors and when your access to the outside world is limited and it's often a lot of it's quite sensible stuff that anybody regardless of their beliefs probably should take on board like reminding yourself all the things the good things in your life and the things that's worth being thankful for and and how to kind of you know the importance of staying in touch with other other people and using technology to keep in touch with family and friends but also they have sort of little tidbits of things like prayers to repeat and little um verses from the bible that can kind of sustain you each day and help you get into a pattern of keeping your sort of spiritual sense alive at a time like this 
I think, because, you know, clearly the impact on people's mental state of all this is, you know, the pandemic is, is, is you know, it's going to be a very challenging time for a lot of people. And, you know, we're only two weeks into the lockdown. So it's, you know, a helpful resource, I think, for anyone who is a believer, but also isn't. Sure. I think. That's at churchofengland.org. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. The music for this podcast was provided by Sought After Sounds. Tune in next Friday for the next episode. Thank you.